When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is straight talk you won't hear anywhere else. I'm Galen Bingham, and this is Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Cheers. One of the principles that I locked onto, it's not really a principle mm-hmm. because it hasn't been proven. It's just a okay. belief. It's its something that I just firmly believe in, you know, all these years of living, I haven't been able to disprove it. It's that if it's true, and I believe it to be true, that God could have done anything, he could have created us with all knowledge. Mm-hmm. He, he, he actually could have, but for some reason he chose not to. Mm-hmm. So there must be something divine in the creation and the discovery process. There must be something back to what you were saying. There must be something about the failing and getting back up and trying it again and failing again and getting back up and trying it again and still failing again. There must be something divine about mm-hmm. that process because, you know, God could have done it. <laughs> Absolutely. Paints down. He absolutely could have done it. And and the fact that he didn't wasn't because he wasn't able to. He chose not to. Uh, gosh, I, I'm, now I start to think about you every time I think about this. There must be something about the failing that is actually divine. There's there, there's something about that discovery that's, that's intended. Uh, mm-hmm. Because once we get to the point and I just I just lost an uncle about a month ago. Right. And um, you know, of my uncles, you know, all, all of my uncles play role, play a specific role in my life and they play a specific role in my in my uh mental space. But mm-hmm. this uncle in particular was the one that had a corporate life. I mean, IBM, when IBM was IBM, right? Right. He he was, he was there. And then he retired from IBM and then he became an entrepreneur and just started doing that in a big way. The first person that I, that I had ever touched that called themselves an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. I'd known of the concept. I knew what an entrepreneur was, but I hadn't touched one until Mm -hmm. I saw my uncle do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would have conversations and he and he and I would relate on that level. 
and he passed away, my aunt and my family asked me to speak at his funeral. Wow. And one of the things that I've shared with you, because we're both speakers, is I tend not to get nervous speaking in front of crowds. I, it just, even in situations where I feel like I should be nervous, I don't get nervous and that kind of makes me nervous. But when they asked me to speak at his funeral, I got a little choked up because mm -hmm. there was significance there. Yes. And um, I, I believe, this is another thing I believe and, and I would love to get your perspective on it. I believe once you have failed enough and you've learned a lot enough, you've learned what you are intended to learn, it's time for you to go. And that's when you get called home. And uh, again, it's just reinforcing this belief that there must be something divine about the discovery process um, because angels don't discover. They, they just are. They, yeah, they don't, they don't discover. So there must be something divine about the learning mm -hmm. and therefore the, the failing process. I love that. That was beautiful. So to answer your question, yes, I do. I believe that for those individuals that are living fully, those individuals who have stepped in and look fear in the eye and it's like, come on, I'm ready. I have my backpack, I have my Neosporin, I got my Band-Aids and my helmet and I'm ready. I believe that those are the individuals who walk into their life understanding that it's bigger than them and that they were to what? serve in whatever capacity that they were supposed to serve in. And then once they have finished touching all of the individuals and places and spaces that they needed to touch and intersect with, then the exploration, the task, the mission is complete. Mm -hmm. The mission is complete. And then you, you've done what you've done. Well done, mm -hmm. my loyal and faithful servant. Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, one of the things I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, because uh, you you and I, like I said, we've we've known each other for a few years. And I think there was kind of a mutual respect. Straight from the beginning. Yeah. Straight from the beginning. For, right for a while. Around. For a while. Yes. But when a, a lot of civil unrest started happening mm. and you know, I was trying to process it just like everyone else was trying to process it for themselves. And uh, I think you may recall, I got really, really deep into James Baldwin there for a while. I had always known of James Baldwin yes. and I'd always done the cursory read of James Baldwin that, you know, any black educated person, right. self-respecting would read some James Baldwin. So I read- You have some, to have at least one work in your life. You because if not, you don't even say anything to nobody real, real. You know, so I, I had done, I had that in, under my belt. I could, if the conversation was about James Baldwin, I could get in for 15 seconds or so. Right. But I had not really dug in. And when, you know, all the unrest started bubbling up, I got in really, really kind of deep into some James Baldwin. And I got in so deep, I, I was like, I got to talk to somebody about this. And so I, right. call, I called, I called Mike drop. Yes. I think at like six 30 in the morning. Yes. it was. Morning. And I'm like, I'm so sorry for calling this early, but I got to unload. I got to release. This is what I just learned from James Baldwin. 
And we had like, I don't know, we must have talked for like five or 10 minutes. And then you said, all right, so next you need to check out the conversation between James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni. And uh, so just tell me why that conversation of all the things you could have directed me to, Mm -hmm. to be the release valve for what my head was doing at the moment, why that conversation was was the one that popped into your mind? Mm. Selfishly, two reasons. I can own my selfishness, right? I loved it because it was between two Black, straight up Negro intellects going at it with so much love, respect, and compassion for one another. And when you think about, again, the dichotomy, he was what, like 20 some years her senior and she was holding her own. Yeah. And it wasn't about disrespect. And they were talking about the importance of black love. Let me let me just put some, let me just put a little hot sauce on what you just said. <laughs> well, listen, yeah. we okay. carry hot sauce in our bag. Here's the, here's the thing. At the point of that conversation, James Baldwin had been James Baldwin for about 20 years already. At least. At least 20 years. I mean, he was already. He was himself. He he was already the James Baldwin that everyone was saying, okay, this is. If he had done nothing else up until (laughs) that that. point, he was already James Baldwin. Nikki Giovanni had just had had just begun being Nikki. She was Nikki Giovanni, but she had just started. Yeah. And for her to have the kind of, to your point, I mean, she had respect for James Baldwin, but she had respect for what she knew. Mm, mm. And she was not afraid to have her knowledge and her experience tested. Absolutely. Um, Up against, to your point, one of the greats. How does the saying go? If it's not worth assessing, it's not worth doing. mm. If your love for your craft and your work, if you won't put it before the gauntlet for the court to criticize, go home. Mm. Go home. So in that, she she was like, yeah, man. Okay, that kid don't need that bike, but he needs you. Mm. And I lean on that and I show that in um, my women and gender studies class because it comes from a black woman's perspective. Because I am her and we don't get that perspective often. We get everybody else's perspective. And to Malcolm X's point, the black woman is the most disrespected, uncared for, and unloved flower in mm-hmm. the United States. So that was one of the reason that we got an opportunity to really see a beautiful exchange of language and aberration and respect um, and different ideas but also it was about Black love for me. And as a Black woman and and you, a Black man, having a Black wife, a Black queen, and having a Black daughter, those things are important because guess what? Society would tell us that Black women are only good for one thing, mm-hmm. right? We know the, the, the different characters. There was the Mamie, the matriarch, and there was the Jezebel. Then there was the angry Black woman. And now there is the educated Black woman who is doing 
immense things in corporate America, but she's singled and childless. Mm, mm. So I gave that to you because it speaks and it continuously feeds what we're still seeing right now in the 21st century, the divide between Black man and Black woman, the mother of civilization and her counterpart. We love, listen, every struggle, anything significant, Black and Brown women have been the backbone, the cornerstone, the left, the right, and the middle, yet we're the most disrespected. We're the ones who are even thinking about advertisements. When you're seeing um, a lot of television commercials where, you know, if there's a Black woman there, she's not with a Black counterpart. She was with a Caucasian man. And if there's a Black man, he's with a Caucasian woman. And just all of this imagery Mm -hmm. that is being fed to us. And then again, if you understand the psychology behind it and you'll understand again, the rhetoric behind it, guess what? You begin to believe it. Why? Because they say, if you're around something long enough, you see something, experience something long enough, hear something long enough, you begin yourself to, again, believe it. To James Baldwin's point, the Black man should be schizophrenic. Hmm. When you're thinking about all of all the things that's been done to him, he has been disrespected, he beat down, he has been you know, told he was nothing. So why would he not be an accomplice in his own murder? Wow. Wow. Uh, okay, so <laughs> I'm just, this is the same experience I had when we talked. <laughs> <laughs> that night or that morning. So how do you, how would you describe yourself uh, as a leader? I mean, it, it, we all lead differently. We all lead in different spaces. I've really become convinced that every sick, every success and every failure begins and ends with leadership mm. and that we all have a responsibility consistent with, with our lane and with our, with mm. our, with our place. Sure. How do you view your role as a leader? Servant. Servant and authentic. <laughs> They're right here. Servant leadership and authentic leadership. Because I don't believe that if you are not authentic and true to who you are, to your point, showing up in your fullness, there's no way for you to be able to serve others. Got it. Beautiful. Thank I you. love it. Okay, so now the only thing we haven't really talked about <laughs> Yes. is this jazz piece. Now for me, <laughs> I like I like jazz literally. You you can be assured that every time we get together I'm going to talk about Miles Davis at some point. And and as you should. <laughs> and as you should. But I also love jazz as a metaphor for life and as a metaphor for what you and I do when we're doing what we do. Mm. And and oh. and the way that metaphor, well, I'm just going to ask you, how does that metaphor work for you? What does that metaphor mean for you? I think I'm going to have to lean into the hova again and borrow something. You know, we steal shamelessly, right? And then we make it and we spin it and we make it our own. It is that right moment, the right frame of reference or right mindset, the right ambiance and the right intention, and you leave the door cracked and allow greatness to happen, because it's flow, and you tuck in, and it's so smooth, it defies description. Mm, fantastic. It, it reminds me of, 
something I heard from Quincy Jones. If you have not, if you are a lover of music, any kind of music, yes, um, you've got to check out this biopic on, on Quincy Jones. And he's just kind of, he's talking to all of the people that he's worked with. A lot of people are talking about him, just talking about his journey and his life. Uh, but there is this one moment where he said, can't remember who he was talking to, but he said, you know, hey, look, when I write music, I only write 80% mm. because I want to leave 20% of the space for God to walk in. Because mm -hmm. that's when the magic happens. Mm -hmm. People are paying me for the magic. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh. Because, you know, as speakers, that's a little close to what we do. Yep. Or at least at least what I do. It, you know, very often, especially in my corporate American experience, people would uh, ask me to give them talking points of what I'm going to talk about. And they would give me a script and they say, this is what we want you to say. And I'm like, okay, well... I can hit these points, but I can't tell you the exact words I'm going to use because I, I have no idea. I can guarantee you I'm going to get you to where you want to be. I just don't know how it's going to happen uh, because we got to leave 20% of the space for God to walk in. Right. What, well, okay. So since we're talking about our love for Miles, what did he say? Anybody can play. <laughs> right. Same instance. Like when you talk about sealed I use that anybody can play an instrument. Anybody can play an instrument, right? It's 80% of it. But the 20% is of, again, is the attitude of the motherfucker playing. Like, how are you going to show up? Where does your brilliance lie in this? How are you going to own that stage? How are you going to be able to dip, dive and move, you know, when, again, the sound goes out or when the mic isn't working or where someone's trying to heckle you? How do you handle the enormity of those moments and still make it magical. Mm. So we, we could go forever going we back. We could. Oh my goodness. This is, listen, we're going to need a, we're going to need a whole bottle. <laughs> Next time you're going to have me back because I'm loving this. Absolutely. All right. So now what, what's next? What are, what are you working on now? And, and what's next? Because you are always working on three and four different things. <laughs> That all align, but oh my gosh, trying to keep up with uh, with Tamara McMillan is someone's full time job. I'm just glad it's not mine. Listen, I wish it were yours. Maybe we'll be, you know, after some strategy for that as the leadership strategist, which I love so much. Um, so what's next? Um, so I just relaunched the website for what was it, the fourth or fifth time? And funny, you talk about Failure Fanatic. And I make fun of myself in that. So on my blog to my listserv and those have really been down, you know, with the um, cause from the very beginning, I say, yes, you know, society would tell us that we only get one shot at it. And I said, well, you know what? I'm pushing the envelope and I'm telling society, you know, I'm giving society the middle finger because this is my fourth launch. And if I need a fifth, I'm going to take it. <laughs> right? So, you know, and, when, and when people then see you winning, and they're like, oh, it really is okay to fail. Like, oh, okay, that's not the end of the world. Like, failure isn't fatal. So um, I say all that to say, 
the e-course. So I did two pilots this year for an e-course. It is Narrate Your Story, where we provide women with the tools to embrace their dreams so they can narrate their story because it's our belief that stories are tethered to our success. However, it's only obtainable by moving through five steps of liberation. And that first step to met no thyself thou snow. Right, Socrates. So we're now. Um, it was async. It was synchronous. Now we're getting ready to put it up on a platform and rock that thing out um, and do it asynchronous. So I will be committing to three at minimum to six months of free webinars every week, same day, same time, just to begin. You know, connecting with individuals that I may have not known me or I them, and offering them what a team of collaborators where they can come and test out their story, mm. tease it out, and then put it in a, in a way, in a fabric that is unique and raw to them. Um, a lot of people believe that when I say, well, hey, you, you, it's important for you to narrate your story, they automatically think what we do on a stage. You know, Oprah, Tony Robbins, right? Les Brown. No, we offer alternative ways, Skype, one-on-one, small group, large group, book. There are so many, you know, programs, e-courses, and I want to lend my failure to them (laughs) as a template for them to move forward. Then um, once I finish this last degree, that will be uh, the impetus of um, the second book, which will be, you know, um, Liberation Now, um, how to, you know, fail forward and still succeed. My stylist was like, oh my goodness, you, you want another book, you know, Liberation Now, you know, um, how to win, you know, in love and relationships. I'm like, well, I'm still working on that, but sure. <laughs> um, and then I am relocating. Wow. So, taking the act on the road. And that's to talk about failure. Like, I'm just going. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a room, literally. I'm packing up my 2,000, almost 2,100 square foot home that I've been in 19 years. Mm. And... I'm going to try my hand at it again. So, so this has been a beautiful conversation. I, I got to ask for just one, one final, one final toast. What's, what's one thing uh, that you would leave for the audience? One thing that you have just become convinced is true about this thing that we're trying to do called life. Mm. I would leave your audience with this. You already know what you're supposed to do. You already have everything that you need to be successful. And it's not about waiting for somebody to tap you on the shoulder saying, you're in, it's your time. You already know that it's your time. And know this, Superman don't come to the ghetto. Get up off of it and let's make it happen. (laughs) And narrate your story because someone needs to hear it. I love that. I love that. I love you. Uh, And this is, this is how every time we connect, you reinforce that nickname we gave you so many, (laughs) so many months, if not years ago, because, uh, this is why we call you mic drop. You you never disappoint. Uh, I am just so glad that I have you on my text message shortlist. Yes, um, because you are such a gift to the world. And I would encourage everyone to connect with Tamara McMillan. And, but when you do, you got to be prepared for your life to never be the same again. 
Well, well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. And um, I call myself grateful to call you friend, colleague, confidant. Um, when I called you the one time, I was like, I, I need to get this out of my head. And, and, you know, you offer some amazing strategy that I've used. And now that's why we have NYS narrate your story, because you told me, sure, they can help you. I, I, I believe that they would, but no one can do you. You already have your secret sauce. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I thank you for what you do. And I thank you for accepting the challenge and the nudge to be in this space, because like I wrote for you, I feel I love it. I still see and experience the corporate. But now I get to see like my boy Galen, like we just kick back and we're just chilling and, you know, really, really philosophizing. Love it. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, with that, we, we need to toast. We need to cheers. Yes. Let's toast out. All the best to you. Good luck for the future. Continued success. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.